Hey everyone, this is Peter Levin, and you're listening to another episode of In Good Hands, a show about the companies and founders solving our climate crisis. Today, I interview Paul Shapiro, founder and CEO of The Better Meat Co. The Better Meat Co. is a food technology company that's helping commercialize the world's first real meat grown without animals. As we've talked about on the show, animal agriculture is one of the great contributors to annual carbon emissions. And so the more we can do to develop these technologies that allow us to enjoy foods that have the same texture, nutritional profile, and overall taste profile of normal meat, the quicker we can start moving the greater population from animal meats to non-animal meats. And so in the episode, Paul and I will discuss what he means when he talks about this second domestication and its broader implications on the world at large. How his company, The Better Meat Co., is developing clean meat with their first product offering called the Ryza. How Ryza compares to other plant-based substitutes like peas, soys, wheats. Getting his start back in high school by founding the organization Compassion Over Killing, where he conducted undercover investigations that stopped false advertising on Ed Cartons, generated national headlines about abuses in agribusiness, and built into this national organization over the next decade. And finally, three big ideas that he wants to see other entrepreneurs take on ASAP. Y'all, this was such a fun conversation. I learned so much from Paul. So without further ado, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Paul Shapiro, founder and CEO of The Better Meat Co. Paul, welcome to the show. <laughs> Peter, thanks so much. Great to be talking to you. It's like Peter, Paul, and the podcast here. <laughs> I just finished watching one of your TED Talks, the one you did at South Lake Tahoe, and a topic you brought up that I found deeply interesting is around this notion of the second domestication. Can you break down what exactly that means? Yeah, sure. Well, Peter, great to be talking with you. I am psyched to be chatting as a fan of your show and now a guest of it. In short, you think about what is like the first domestication, which goes all the way back to thousands of years ago when we started shifting from essentially being a hunter-gatherer species into one that became an agricultural species. And that involved selecting both plants and animals that we could domesticate and get them to uh, do the types of things that humans wanted them to do, which would mean to be docile, to grow faster, to put out, let's say, more eggs or more milk, to put on weight faster, all the things that would be beneficial to humans, even if not so beneficial to them. Now that we've domesticated dozens of different plant and animal species for our own uh, you know, commercial purposes, the question is, can we domesticate at the cellular or the microbial level? And can we create, for example, animal cell lines rather than entire animals that will also grow really fast, that will also produce the most succulent meat? Can we domesticate, let's say, microscopic fungi so they can produce alternative meats? Because right now we're essentially dealing almost with like wild species here when we're talking about the world of making meat without animals when you get down to the microscopic level. And so we're right at the very beginning of this revolution and how we will produce meat to divorce meat production from livestock rearing in a way that means that we're going to have to do a second domestication and hopefully one that will be a lot faster than what we've done in the past. 
you're making my segue to the next topic super easy. In your book, Clean Meat, you wrote about the race, and that's an intentional word, the race to commercialize the world's first real meat grown without animals. And I highlight that word because it implies that time is of the essence. So if you can, if we just zoom out for a second, why are we in a race to accomplish this? Well, it's a race for a lot of reasons. One, the planet just isn't getting any bigger. Humanity's footprint on the planet is getting a lot bigger, but the planet itself is not getting any bigger. And one of the primary ways that we leave our footprint is through our food print, principally in the amount of meat that we eat, because it just takes a lot of land, a lot of water, a lot of greenhouse gas emissions, and a lot of other resources to raise animals for food and only to slaughter them and turn them into things like steaks and burgers. Well, the problem is that meat consumption is extremely resource intensive and it's extremely popular. Meat demand is going up, not down. So right now in the United States and in China and Brazil and Mexico and India, all the places is gonna matter the most in the future per person meat consumption is going up, not down. And not only is it going up per person, but the number of persons is also growing up. So we have about 7.8 billion of us today on the planet. And barring any major catastrophe that might occur between now and then, in the next 30 years, we're going to add another 2 billion people to the planet. So where are we going to farm all of the animals to feed this? We're not going to be farming the moon. We're not going to be farming Mars. We only have one celestial body to farm. And we've pretty much deforested it enormously for the purpose uh, primarily of raising animals for food, either for grazing land or for us to raise corn and soy to feed to all those farm animals. So if we don't have anywhere else to farm and we're gonna have increased demand for meat, we're going to have to get really efficient about how we produce meat. And there's only really one way to do that. And that is to divorce meat production from raising and slaughtering animals. Doing so would have enormous benefits. But the question is to answer your question directly, can we do it fast enough? I'm here in Sacramento, California right now where the air is so bad, they tell you not to go outside because it's, it's so smoky from the wildfires. Fire season for us now is not a season all year round. And the problem is that animal agriculture is just a driving factor in climate change and so many other environmental problems that we're facing. And we need to do something. So the race that is on to replace animals in the food supply is a race against time to see, can we solve this issue fast enough? So just in the same way, there's a race to see how quickly we can replace fossil fuels with renewable energy. There is a race to see how fast we can replace factory farms with alternative animal-free technologies. Thank you for that. One of, one of the key through lines in every episode we do here is one of optimism, right? Showing the listeners that it's not just the, the doom and gloom, but we have a couple athletes, a bunch of racers that are close to the finish line, which leads me to my next question about what you're working on. The Better sure. Meat Co., can you just, yep. what's the SparkNotes version of what Better Meat Co. is doing before we dive into the details? I love you mentioned SparkNotes. Whenever I hear that, I always think in my day it was QuiffNotes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, those are the big things. So you can kind of tell how old somebody is depending on which they say, but it, it's really funny. Yeah. Uh, I also even noticed the other day I used the word fogey to describe myself. 
And a colleague of mine told me that merely by using the word fogey, it made me a fogey. So, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I know. Not so pleasant. But anyway, yeah. So listen, the Better Meat Co. is a food technology startup based in Sacramento. And what we do is take common ingredients like potatoes and subject them to a type of microbial fermentation that transforms them within less than one day into succulent alternative meats. I know that seems like magic, but it's not magic, it's science. What we're doing is taking starchy foods like potatoes and feeding them to microscopic fungi that just in the same way that a cow eats grass and converts it into steak, they eat the potatoes and they convert it into a high protein, delicious alternative meat product. Now, the difference though is that cows take more than a year before you slaughter them, whereas our microbes go from inoculating our fermenter to harvest in less than a day. Less than a day. If you think about biology, the larger the organism, typically speaking, the longer it takes for that organism to replicate itself. So it takes a long time for an elephant to make another elephant. It takes less time for a human to make a human. It takes even less time, let's say, for mice to make more mice. But when you get down to the microscopic level, it's happening really rapidly. And so that's how we go from a, an empty fermenter to a chock-full fermenter of our mycoprotein, which we call Rhiza, which is just Latin for root. But we have a river of Rhiza coming out of this thing within less than a day because we can create foods that really offer the meat experience without having to wait a year and use all of the massive resources needed to raise animals for food. We can do it in less than a day. Wow. So just so I fully understand, Rhiza is the output from this process and this output, the Ryza enhancer, is what is then used to create, for example, a plant-based beef alternative, fish alternative, a pork alternative that is not made from actual animals. Is my, am I understanding that correctly? And to even explore it a little bit more. So right now, if you think about plant-based meat, nearly all of it is made from either wheat, peas, or soy. And so those are the three crops that you make plant-based meat from today for the most part, or some combination of them. And those are all part of the plant kingdom, wheat, pea, and soy. They're all plants. And the problem is that plants, evolutionarily speaking, are really far away from animals, right? So animals and plants are very far apart. So you got to do a lot to get peas, for example, to taste like an animal's flesh, because a pea's flesh does not taste like an animal's flesh. So what you do is you essentially grow a field of peas, you harvest it, you mill it into a flour, then you have a pea flour, but that's not that high in protein, so you need to fractionate it, meaning that you remove the fiber, you remove the fat, you concentrate it down into a pea protein powder. Then you take that pea protein powder and subject it to something called twin screw high moisture extrusion, which essentially is very hot and very high pressure, and it changes the molecular structure of the protein such that it's no longer globular like a plant's protein, and it becomes stringy like an animal's protein. And so that's how you get peas to have the texture of animal meat. But obviously that's a lot that you have to do. However, we aren't using plants. We are using fungi and fungi are an entirely different kingdom. They're not plants at all. In fact, they are not even close to plants. Fungi are not just in between plants and animals. They are much, much closer to animals than they are to plants. Just as an example, like us, fungi breathe in oxygen and breathe out CO2, which is the opposite of what plants do. Like us, fungi have to actually search out their food and then eat it and di digest it, which is uh, the opposite of what plants do. They just put themselves in the sun and photosynthesize. So those are just two examples of ways that 
of proof that fungi are just a lot closer to animals. And so what that means is that uh, fungi and mushrooms just have a much meatier texture than do plants. And this is why mushrooms have been used in Asian cuisine as a meat replacement for centuries. So what we're doing though is taking that to the next level and we're creating an ingredient, Ryza, that just in the same way that you would use pea protein as an ingredient to let's say make a Beyond Burger, the Beyond Burger has numerous other ingredients, but pea protein is the core ingredient that powers that meat-like texture. We are using our Ryza or our fungi protein in order to create a meat-like experience as a base ingredient for these products that is just texturally superior to plant extruded plant proteins like pea protein or wheat protein and so on. That is incredibly compelling. So the elevator pitch for a customer would be cut your ingredient list by some either moderate or significant percentage and still get the tasty, nutrition-rich output that their customers have come to love and appreciate. Is that correct? Yeah, no it is correct peter but i go even further it's actually better it's not the same it's actually better it's way more meat like than extruded plant proteins are and so not only do you have the benefit that you were just saying but it's not to get to the same end it's to get to an actually better end i'll give you an example you look at the plant-based meats today and virtually all of it is ground meat substitutes chicken nuggets hamburgers sausages meatballs and more and that's great we need that but it's very difficult to make whole muscle mimicry out of plant proteins, things like steaks, for example, that aren't ground. Uh, yet with our protein, with Ryza, we can make steaks. In fact, in just uh, two days from this recording, a steakhouse in Sacramento will become the first steakhouse in America ever to serve an alternative meat steak that is made from Ryza because that's how convincing it is as an alternative protein that you can actually not just do ground meat replicas, but you can do a whole muscle mimicry too. So we can do chicken breasts, we can do steaks and so on. And so this really is the next generation, not just more sustainable, not just even more natural and less processed, but indeed it is actually just better from the sensory perspective. And nutritionally, it's much better because it's still it's a whole food. So it still has the fiber in there. And Ryza on its own has more protein than eggs. It's got more iron than beef. It's got more potassium than bananas, more fiber than oats. And unlike plant foods, because it's this uh, process of microbial fermentation, it actually naturally contains vitamin B12. So now you're talking about like a superfood that we can make in mere hours that does a better job of actually displacing animal meat than the current options out there do. And don't get me wrong, I like plant-based meat today. I think it's awesome. I really enjoy eating Beyond Burgers as an example, but they can get better. And we wanna offer a way to do just that. So to piggyback off of that, is the impossible foods, the, the Beyond Meats of the world, are they the perfect customers of yours? Is that who you're targeting? Uh, yeah, who is the kind of the perfect customer for the Ryza product? The two companies you mentioned, Impossible and Beyond, are awesome companies that I admire greatly. And yes, we would love to partner with them. Uh, but it's not just them. We want to partner with the meat companies. We want to partner with the major meat companies to help them reduce their footprint on the planet. So I like to look at it this way. Think about if you look at the 1990s film wars, you had Kodak and you had Canon, and they were vying for supremacy in the print film market. Kodak gets concerned about digital film because they're afraid it'll cannibalize their core business. So they sell negatives, they sell print photos, they got all the stores where you're printing your photos for it, they're printing photos for you and all that. Well, 
Canon saw that digital would suppress or cannibalize their core business, but they embraced it because they thought it was the future. And we all know what happened in the end. Kodak went bankrupt and Canon is now the, the largest manufacturer of digital cameras on the planet. They're still selling us the same thing though. They still sell us a method by which we can capture our memories. It's still a photo. It's just instead of print, it's digital. Well, the same is so in meat. Many meat companies see that story and they want to be the Canon. They don't want to be the Kodak. And so while, yes, they have slaughtered animals for a long time, if they can produce the meat experience without having to raise and slaughter animals, why not do that? So instead of being an animal meat company, they can be a protein company that actually creates the same experience, if not better, but in a far more efficient, far more humane, and far more sustainable manner. And so we want to be a good partner to meet companies themselves to help them transform themselves into 21st century protein companies. So in the same way that you might see, for example, a hope that, let's say, a, a big oil company would get into solar, we want the meat companies to get into animal-free meats so that we can quickly transition them away from the system of factory farming on which they're currently dependent. Got it. Got it. I have one more question about the product before I move into a question about your background. I notice across the site, you're very specific around calling Ryza an enhancer. Why the verbiage? Can you demystify what enhancer means in this context? Sure. You can use Ryza in one of two ways. You can either use it to be a fully plant-based meat and make a succulent steak or burger. At the same time, you can also use it as a meat enhancer. So you can think about if you go to Jamba Juice and they ask you, do you want in your smoothie? Do you want to boost your smoothie with, I don't know, matcha or hemp seeds or something like that, right? You're not thinking of yourself as getting less smoothie. You're thinking of yourself as getting a better smoothie. It's an enhanced smoothie. Similarly, Ryza can be an ingredient that can enable a major meat company to use fewer animals in the same way that you have hybrid technology in cars that allows you to use a lot less gasoline. You can use Ryza to blend into meat because it's so convincing of a meat substitute that you actually don't notice that there's less meat in there. And so you can put it in there and have a situation where the meat company can use way fewer animals without necessarily offering an all alternative product. And so that's what we mean when we talk about it as an enhancer. Now that product wouldn't be desirable for vegetarians or vegans, understandably, but I think it would be desirable by a lot of people. And so I'll give you an example. When you think about like Burger King right now, they have the Impossible Whopper. That's awesome. I, I love it. I've gotten it. I think it's a historic thing that they're doing it. But if you read news stories, it's about 2% max of the burger sales of those Burger Kings. So imagine if in addition to offering the Impossible Whopper, they also just took the regular Whopper and blended it, let's say to make it 50% plant-based, 50% beef. So now you've got this burger that's 50% Ryza, 50% beef, and it's the default item that nearly everyone is getting. So rather than a 2% reduction in beef, now you have more than 50% reduction in beef. That's the goal of using Ryza as an enhancer to meat in addition to offering it as an ingredient for fully animal-free meats too. Wow. We have to get you connected to... Uh... Caitlin, who was running Chipotle's sustainability department. <laughs> oh, nice. Well, <laughs> Let's add I, that I to the queue. That. I'm a huge Chipotle fan. My wife and I uh, joke that it's like, it's my favorite restaurant. And so if there's like a, a birthday or some other like celebration, we're like, oh, where should we, where should we go? I'm like, we're going to Chipotle. Chipotle. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the place for like wedding anniversaries. That's, that's how good it is, I think. So Paul, one of the most interesting chapters in your life story I don't know how much I, I was trying to dig into some of your old interviews. I didn't hear you talk about it much, but back in the day, 
you, it seems like you got your first start in this crazy thing. You can call it activism, entrepreneurship, but in high school, you started this club that's now a national organization. Talk to me a little bit about what your original inspiration was for getting into animal treatments, us thinking about kind of animal alternatives more broadly, but starting with that chapter one, that high school club that you started. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's kind of you'd ask about that, Peter. So it seems like a lifetime ago to me, honestly. But when I was a freshman in high school, I was very concerned and still today I'm very concerned about the treatment of animals. And I was very shocked when I first learned about what happened to animals inside of factory farms and inside of slaughter plants. And I kept wondering whenever I'd watch like a video back then there was like no YouTube. So I'm like VHS videos here watching these things. And I'm like, yeah, what would I do if those are my dogs? You know, I love the dogs in my family. And I thought, what would I do if my, were my dogs hanging upside down, having their throats cut? Or what would I do if they were my dogs in those cages where they could barely move their whole lives? And I wanted to do something about it. So I started a high school club that I named Compassion Over Killing. And quickly, we would do things like pass out plant-based food to students and host speeches and stuff like that. But pretty quickly, it became a, a citywide organization. So this was in Washington, D.C., and we started then conducting undercover investigations at slaughterhouses and factory farms using hidden cameras and so on to document what was happening. People thought nobody was watching. And the type of uh, really horrific uh, abuse of animals that we documented started making national news. It started getting in CNN and New York Times and so on. And that led Compassion Over Killing to become a national organization that I continued running after college for several years before leaving there to go to the Humane Society of the United States, where I served as a lobbyist for more than a decade to try to pass laws to protect animals from abuse as well. However, around 2015 or so, I started thinking about what would actually be the most efficient way to help animals. Because if you think about like the animal protection movement in the United States, it really got founded in the uh, mid 19th century by people who are really concerned about the mistreatment of horses back then were the way that we transported ourselves and our goods all around. They were absolutely terribly abused. And there was this campaign that the animal protectionists had to get horses better working conditions. They wanted to have mandatory watering stations in cities for the horses. They wanted working hours so they couldn't be worked all day and night. They wanted Sabbath days where they had to be rested for a day. But in the end, Henry Ford did more to liberate horses than the animal protectionists ever dreamt of doing. He just rendered their exploitation obsolete. And the same thing happened category after category. We used to light our homes with whale oil and nobody stopped whaling because of concern for the whales. We stopped because kerosene was invented and we had a cheaper, more efficient way to light our homes. We used to live pluck geese for their feathers so that we could write letters. In fact, Thomas Jefferson had his own personal flock of geese for quills because he wrote so many letters. But we didn't stop this barbaric practice of live plucking geese for quills because anybody cared about the geese. We stopped because metal fountain pens were invented. And the list goes on and on of these categories of animal exploitation that were ended not by humane sentiment, but by new technologies that rendered the exploitation obsolete. And so around 2015, I started thinking about whether or not food technology would do more good than doing things like, let's say, passing policies to give farm animals better living conditions. Now, I'm all for giving farm animals better living conditions. I think that's really important. I'm glad that there are people doing it. I think it's truly uh, critical to do. I really thought that 
maybe there would be something to just creating the types of products like metal fountain pens that would do for farm animals what, for example, fountain pens did for geese. And so I started writing more and more about this and I, I, it ultimately led me to write the book Clean Meat, How Growing Meat Without Animals Will Revolutionize Dinner in the World. And in the writing of that book, I learned that many of the people who are starting companies in this space and raising tens or even hundreds of millions of dollars weren't experienced entrepreneurs. They weren't experienced scientists. Many of them had very little background or experience in this, and yet they were still succeeding. And I thought, rather than writing about the people who I thought were going to save the world here, why not just become one of them myself? So after the book came out, I decided to co-found my own company, The Better Meat Co., and I've been running it for the last three and a half years. I, I still write. I write a lot for like uh, newspapers and magazines and so on on the topic. But most of my time is spent now trying to advance our own company and move our technology forward so that we can have an oar in the water in trying to solve this really pressing problem of how do we feed 10 billion people without destroying the planet in the process. That's amazing. One of the questions before we jump to the bookends, and just to piggyback again off of Clean Me and this notion of the race, right? So you've been at work for going on three years and change now, right? Three years, three years and change. How much more or less optimistic are you around our ability to win this race? And I don't know exactly what the goalposts are, People have varying targets, but just for a casual takeaway for our listeners, what is your broader perspective, bullish or bearish, on the progress we've made? And then what's near term in the queue for yeah. in this kind of broader thing you call this? Let me first state a couple of facts and then tell you why, even in spite of these facts, that I'm optimistic. The facts are that we're raising more animals for food today than we ever have before. The fact is that meat demand is higher today than it has ever been before, and it's only projected to keep on rising. So those lead me to believe that we are not winning, right? That the race is being lost. At the same time, I do believe that the technologies that are being advanced right now in the plant-based space, the cellular agriculture space, and the microbial fermentation space are so promising, they're so encouraging, that I think there is a ghost of a chance here that we can actually get out in front of this problem and have a rapid transformation. What needs to occur is to have some type of a Moore's Law type effect where the technologies become so cheap that eventually they outcompete meat on price. If you think about electric vehicles, they're only uh, less than 2% of the vehicle sales today because they're a lot more expensive than conventional vehicles. But once that changes, once they become cheaper, they'll become the norm. Same thing with solar energy and wind energy and so on. Once the right thing becomes the easier or the more convenient or the cheaper thing, you can see a pretty rapid transformation. In fact, the whaling industry, to go back to that example, had for centuries been a dominant part of the American economy, both in the colonial America and the United States. And it was only a matter of a couple of decades in which it got decimated after the first patenting of kerosene in 1853. So you can see how these major industries can be transformed and become minor, minor industries pretty quickly. So I, I do hold out hope that these technologies will get good enough and cheap enough 
that they can rapidly displace the number of animals needed to be used for food. So right now, they're still more expensive. Even plant-based meat, it's been on the market for decades, and it still is more expensive than conventional meat, and it's not that close in price either. Cellular agriculture, which is not really on the market yet for, from a meat perspective, is dramatically more expensive. And microbial fermentation is still creating cool products that are starting to get competitive, but compared to the cheapest meats like chicken, it's not there yet. So that's my hope. That's my goal. The reason I hold out hope is because I do see a pathway toward creating the cheapest protein sources around that will offer that succulent meat experience without animals. I love it. My last question before we roll the red carpet is around this notion of the idea graveyard. And the idea graveyard is something that probably lives in your notes app or a journal of yours this list of ideas that at some point in time you thought were interesting or compelling, but just rotted away in this idea graveyard of yours. So my question for you is, what are one of these ideas that you'd love to work on if you had the time to do, but for now is just rotting away in your idea graveyard? Oh, dude, there's not going to be just one. Brace yourself. Okay. <laughs> uh, these are ones I hope somebody else will do because I'm busy doing better meat co. So I hope somebody else will do this. Okay. First and foremost, fungi have the power to save the world. They are underutilized and underappreciated, but they can do enormous amounts of things from everything, even like toxic waste remediation. So we are drowning in a sea of plastic, literally out in the ocean right now and in all over, right? Beaches everywhere. This plastic just won't biodegrade. There are fungi that will eat plastic, that will actually degrade it. So why not start a company that utilizes this particular species of fungi that we already know? You don't even have to genetically engineer them. We already know that these fungi will actually do that. And you can create an, an industrial facility where you bring plastic there and convert it into soil or whatever the byproduct is of that type of a degradation process. So that's one is using uh, plastic eating fungi to actually digest the current plastic. And we got to get better. We got to get better at making plastic be biodegradable right from the point where it's actually produced. There's billions and billions of pounds of plastic just out there in the environment right now. And nearly none of it will ever get recycled. It's going to be there for centuries. So why don't we get started by degrading it? So that's one. Two, I really think that there's a great effort being made to make foods that taste like meat, which is awesome. That's what I'm doing. So numerous other folks are doing, but you know, that's under the presumption that people need the meat experience, which I do think they want a lot, but also if we could make other really good foods that just taste awesome, even if they're not identical to meat, but could actually take away meat share, I think that would be really good. So if you could find a way, let's say, to make black beans really sexy, right? I have a friend of mine named Alexis Fox who started a company called Lighter, which is another plant-based company. She talks about having sexy beans, right? So like some brand that makes it cool to eat beans. Like that would actually be a pretty cool thing. Uh, if people would be happy to eat bean and rice burritos and lentil soup and hummus, you know, not that bad. That'd be pretty good. You might not need all of this food technology and gigantic fermenters. And those are a couple ideas that are out there. I also think that I... I I can't stand how much is wasted with all of the human bodies that pass away. And all those nutrients are basically locked away from nature. We cremate them, which just incinerates them and creates more greenhouse gas emissions and air pollution. 
or we put them in like concrete liners and hermetically sealed caskets and we put them in the ground where basically the nutrients in your body are kept away from nature. Like you've been taking all this time eating and putting nutrients in your body, but it doesn't get returned. Why not have like human composting facilities where you can compost your body? Right now, there's actually a, a cool company that is doing this. It's called Recompose. And they are creating, it's, they've changed the laws in several states to allow this. I know it sounds grim or gruesome, but why not have your body get turned back into soil? Uh, so anyway, those are a few ideas. Now, the one I just mentioned, Recompose is already doing, but you know they can't solve the problem on their own. Just like you want lots of different solar energy companies, lots of different plant-based mm -hmm. meat companies. You want lots of companies out there, but I think you know it's a real shame what we're doing to the environment. It's like one final act of pollution when you die. Mm -hmm. So why not do that? So there are three things that I think would be good for the world. And I would go on and on with more of them, but for the sake of, of time for your <laughs> listeners, Peter, um, those are the three I'm putting out there. And I hope other people will do them. We had Recompose on the pod as well before. Early oh, on. you did? Oh, yes. how cool. Wow, Paul, nice. Oh, that's awesome. What the heat got for the listeners here. I gave Paul zero forewarning and yeah. over delivered, my friend. That is <laughs> wow. Um, Paul, I'd love to roll the red carpet. Are there any final call to actions, hiring needs, products you want to tease? Anything that you want to leave with our listeners? The floor yeah. is yours. Sure. Let me make one comment and then I'll give it to you. Look, lots of people want to do something good for the world, but they think that somebody else is going to do it or they think they're not the person to do it. But if you read my book, Queen Meat, what is the people who are actually doing enormous amounts to help save the world had no more reason to do it than you did, than you do right now. They may have less experience than you do, actually. And so my suggestion is don't let your own mental barriers inhibit you from actually going out and trying to make a difference in the world. Because if it's not you, it may not happen at all. So I would encourage you to just to get out on the field. Don't get paralyzed with analysis. Don't start reading a million books first. If you want to learn how to play soccer, you don't read a bunch of books on how to play soccer. You go out on the field and you start playing. Well, if you want to start your own company or join a socially conscious company, go do it. Get out there and actually make it happen. Maybe you won't succeed, but maybe you will but at least you'll have tried. So that's my first suggestion. And then second, if you want to get in touch with me, if you're interested, for example, in working with the Better Meat Co., just visit me at bettermeat.co. Again, that's bettermeat.co. You can get in touch with me there and I'd love to hear from you. And if you're interested in reading my book, Clean Meat, you can buy it anywhere books are read or you can go to the book's official website, which is cleanmeat.com. Again, cleanmeat.com. And got the domain. Paul, <laughs> congrats on... All of your early success with Better Meat Co. Thank you for honestly dedicating your entire career to causes of this nature. And then I guess more specifically, thank you for giving me an ounce of your time, man. This is you way over delivered on my already high barred expectations just across the board. Thank you so much. And we'll have to do a, a round two. Maybe the next time you guys drop a big update. Dude, I can't wait. That would be awesome, Peter. I look forward to repeating and maybe in the future, I'll like three Peter. I want to be like the Tom Brady of England hands, right? <laughs> he, he's like way more than three Peter. I think he's went on like six or seven. Yeah, yeah. Seven P maybe? Oh, man. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, it's great to talk with you and thanks for everything you're doing to give a platform to people who are trying to save the world here. Likewise, man. All right, have a good weekend. Cool. Take care, thanks. Paul. Bye. You Hey there, you made it to the outro. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you're new here, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, thank you so much. 
we're actively casting for new guests on our show. So if you have a rock star founder or company in mind that's working on something cool, message me on Instagram at Peter A. Levin or email us, hello at ingothands.us. Thank you so much again and look forward to bringing you another new episode next Tuesday.